Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Whenever you are and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in. Maybe you're on a run. Maybe you're one of our geeks and sneaks out there. Maybe you're at a gym working it out help, and letting us help you get through it. We hope we can help. We are DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff 2 ns one t Kanata, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who made it through another April Fool's week, unscathed, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. How are you this fine Monday? I'm doing very well. We did it, man. We the worst week for uh pretty much being on the internet at all, right? We did it. We, we survived. <laughs> I think we're we over that hump, one. hopefully, where people have come to realize the internet is great for everything except for April Fools, and then it's the worst. <laughs> uh well, we are excited this week. As always, DLC stands for your downloadable Kanata or your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh my gosh, DLC stands for diversions and labor combined. Because from the Gamers with Jobs website and the Gamers with Jobs conference call podcast, we have one of my favorite people on the internet, Certis himself, Mr. Sean Andrich. Hey, Sean. Oh, wow. This is amazing. Thanks so much for having me. And, and what a pull for DLC to put that together. I, even after the first two words, I wasn't quite sure where you're going and it completely made sense. <laughs> I do, uh, you know, I put in way more work on that every week than I really should. But, uh, <laughs> well, speaking of work, you took the day off of work to be with us here today, and I couldn't be more grateful. Um, I'm such a fan of Sean and his, his various incarnations across the web, uh, and have been for nigh on a decade now. Um, yeah. So excited yeah. to have you on the show finally. Yeah, you applied to write for gamerswithjobs.com uh, l- like a decade ago. And, and perhaps the, uh, the, the biggest mistake gamerswithjobs.com ever made was not snapping up <laughs> Jeff Kanata uh, when we had the chance. Yeah, uh, that's what it pre- blew up. It was pre Totally Rad Show. <laughs> Go ahead, Christian, make fun of me. Oh, no, no, I was going to say it was a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we did get him for one of our games jobs magazines uh, a little while ago so that was really exciting and uh, yeah. yeah you know i did take the 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 this today off um it's it's interesting to do something like this during work hours when a vast majority of us are you know putting our noses to the grindstone and and earning a living and paying our mortgages and stuff but uh, i'm really glad i i decided to take the sort of quote-unquote easter monday off uh, so I could hang out with you guys. I've been trying to for months. So it's uh, it's Whoa. really nice to be here and, and spending some time. 
Well, thanks, man. We're, we're excited to have you. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a slow-ish week, I'd say, for news, unless you love fake news. But, uh, we will start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, of course, the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. As a listener to the show, you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit over at 5x5.tv, excuse me, that's our website, it's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, and, uh, we got some cool submissions this week. Sean, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. Um, what do you think is the story of the week? Uh, you know, I like this one that was submitted by Space Bob, uh, who talks about YouTuber Angry Joe, who not surprisingly, I guess, is angry at Nintendo <laughs> and says he will no longer feature Nintendo products on his YouTube stream. And I am sure, I am sure that, uh, I'm sure that Nintendo is just, just weeping quietly uh, about all of this, this they're they're never going to survive. Uh, not not having Angry Joe um, stream their games uh, any further. It sounds like your take on this is very similar to my take on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Angry Joe uh, fired off a YouTube missive this week, um, scathingly taking down Nintendo for their lack of, of valuing his contribution to their marketing efforts. Uh, he spent over $900 on Nintendo hardware. How can they not be satisfied with that kind of investment in their products? Um, of course, Nintendo recently came forth and said, you know, they have this creators program that they're starting up where only certain games are allowed to be on YouTube streamed and they're going to share in the profits with YouTube streamers. Um, but he was streaming Mario Party 10, which is not on the whitelist of approved games. And so he was hit with a cease and desist or one of YouTube's flagged systems for uh, uh, copyrighted content. And he got mad. Uh, and he thinks that, uh, his, you know, 2 million subscribers and, uh, millions of views are valuable and that, um, Nintendo is, is going to be the ones that are going to lose. So it sounds like you kind of feel like he's, he's throwing a tantrum. He's a bit, he's a bit jilted, isn't he? Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I'll admit that, uh, YouTube, uh, let's play streaming is one of those lines of delineation that told me I kind of wasn't with it in terms of the, the game industry anymore and in terms of what the kids are into. I'm, I'm 34 years old now. And so when I'm the YouTube streamer, like the streamer aspect of it and PewDiePie and, and all that stuff, I don't, as a, as just a content devourer, I don't really get into that stuff because I don't necessarily want to watch people play games because I'm going to play them. I don't want to watch someone else do it. So uh, knowing that you know, Angry Joe here, 2 million subscribers, and it's obviously very popular. Um, it's, it's the whole, the whole thing takes me into this odd rabbit hole of being feeling kind of disconnected from the industry on that level. And I think Nintendo is in kind of a similar boat. I feel like they're scrambling to deal with this new reality of streamers being very popular and representing their games in ways that they may not be comfortable with. Like Angry Joe, that just may not be a vibe they're into. And uh, certainly when they're such a kid-friendly brand, I think that they're trying to hold on really tightly uh, and control really tightly how their games are being displayed uh, and how they're being represented. And I think it's scary for them, but you know what? It's got to be scary for 
uh, poor Angry Joe, because if something like Nintendo's creator program takes off, it's then what's going to stop other publishers, EA, um, you know, Sony, Microsoft from stepping in and saying, you know, that's a good point. You know, we should be partnering stronger and having a stronger bond with all of our valued streamers and slicing a little off the top. Like in this case, I don't think Nintendo cares about the money so much as they care about how their stuff is being put out there. Uh, but it's it's obviously it's it goes far, far beyond just. Nintendo not wanting Angry Joe to stream Mario Party 10. I think it's a broader question of how do we control how our games are being portrayed and are we actually gaining sales or losing sales in this process? Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of excellent points. The, you know, from Nintendo's perspective, I'm sure a lot of this has to do with the fact that, you know, they are very much trying to create a family friendly brand. And if these guys are streaming their games and dropping F-bombs every other word, that may not be the kind of image that Nintendo wants to project with their, with their titles. They, from their perspective, they can imagine kids Googling Mario Party and seeing all manner of things. That isn't necessarily what happened in this case, but it certainly leads to their policy being formed. Uh, but I think you're right. I think it is a generational thing. I think there is a, a sense of, uh, entitlement that, that persists with people that grew up with this medium that says, Hey, if we want to create something on the, on YouTube, we should be able to do it. Uh, where do you fall on this spectrum, Christian? Well, one. What a horrible, fair and measured response of this story. I don't appreciate. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so much of, of what you guys both said is, is accurate. I think people in the chat are talking about, you know, fair use and, you know, how Nintendo is dumb for doing this. And just briefly, as someone who is not an attorney and cannot give legal advice because my licenses are inactive, um, fair use is a complex question. It's easy to to write the bullet points of what fair use is in the United States. And it seems simple to understand, but. There are many a cases that, you know, try to figure out what is or is not covered under fair use because the three bullet point requirements are very broad and vague. And most of the time, those issues don't go to court because going to court is expensive, which then puts the little man at a disadvantage because they don't have the fees to fight a fair use claim. What is interesting and it's also brought up in the chat is the seriousness of a copyright claim on your YouTube channel. And that's something that I, I side um, with Angry Joe being angry about this at. Because if you get, I think it's currently three kind of pings against you on your YouTube channel, um, YouTube will block you, shut you down and, and take everything off. So if you're doing something that you think is covered under fair use and that, you know, I would say is largely innocent to some extent um, and you're not trying to pirate games or, or upload a whole movie for someone to watch or something like that. And this is something that he's done with other games and been okay with. Then if you get a copyright claim, it does kind of jeopardize, I would imagine a pretty serious income stream for him. So I understand the frustrations. That said, I think Nintendo is very much within their right to not want people to stream their games. Do I think that that is backwards? Yeah, I, I think that they are behind the times on that with the rise in the popularity of it and Xbox and PlayStation including the feature in their console and making it a priority. Obviously, within that, publishers can restrict certain aspects of their game from being streamed. But I think Nintendo doesn't just get it. But that's, you know, that's their prerogative to do that and to not want people to broadcast their games i think they'll come around on it but probably not for another four or five years or so i mean i hate to be the guy that says i get both sides <laughs> but i understand both sides on this yeah you know and to a certain extent i do as well i i think that 
the, the, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, nobody would be watching Angry Joe if he had never had video games to stream, right? If, if no one had created any of those IP for him to stream, I don't think anybody would just watch Angry Joe be angry at, at whatever, you know, it's, it, he is, he has built his income on the backs of other people's IP. And, and that's fine. I, I, I'm not faulting him for that, but I think that you have to understand that when you do that, when you are Zynga and you're creating a game on the back of somebody else's platform, i.e. Facebook, you are at the, at the whim of that company. You are, you are building something on, on top of what somebody else has built and they can decide whether, whether you can continue to do that or not. Um, so I don't understand the, the feeling that, you know, oh, I, I paid for their console. I paid for four controllers. I should be able to do what I want with it and share it with the world. I think that you, there is a sensitivity to understanding, well, hey, they kind of want to have control over the thing they made. Um, and I, you know, I don't particularly enjoy the tone with which this was, was, was put out, but, but I do sympathize with him as well. Like he's just trying to create something and, you know, I, I grew up in the age of, you know, when mixes were happening for the first time in music and people were taking other people's songs and creating something new with it. And there's a lot of parallels with the YouTube uh, you know, and Twitch streaming on, on that level as well. And to say, hey, they are creating something new. This is something different that just takes elements of something else and combines it with original material. So like you, I see both sides. I just feel like the way this was sort of publicly handled and so one-sided it just feels it feels a little petulant to me Am mm-hmm. I mean uh yeah. hemi doll in the in the chat um makes an interesting point saying that he feels like nintendo just wants to cultivate its existing audience and not expand um you know even though yeah. obviously they'd love to have another wii like um experience uh console but i the wii wasn't built on streaming um uh, in fact none of the consoles necessarily were this is all really the the crest of a wave right now uh, nintendo's always positioned themselves to be for young people they've they've grown on the backs of adults needing a safe place to plop their kids down and babysit them basically and they know if mario's on there it's going to be a safe spot so they they kind of rely on that i don't think they necessarily see the value of having streamers out there streaming their stuff but on the other hand you know i have friends who have kids who they don't follow specific games so much as they follow specific streamers that they really like. So when that streamer latches onto a game they haven't heard of, when they're done watching, the first thing they do is go to their parents and say, can we get this game? My favorite streamer was just playing and it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, I think that Nintendo probably needs to embrace this a bit more. Um, I don't know if their creator's program is really going to cut it uh, unless that creator's program, unless there's going to be more to that than just Nintendo taking a cut of your profits, but there's actually maybe early access, maybe, you know, special something or other to make that worthwhile to actually provide some value to that, to the streamer for that. um, So that it's not just Nintendo kind of swinging their influence around and and slapping copyright claims on everybody. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out because, um, you know, Nintendo seems to be the only people doing this right now, but who knows if, if, you know, they start having a revenue stream. And the thing also is Angry Joe hasn't disclosed how much he makes, you know, from these videos. And it, it, there's a layer of money and income here that it makes it all a little smarmy because 
what basically happened was, yes, there's this thing with that Christian brought up about, you know, three strikes and you're out on YouTube, but his video wasn't taken down. It was just flagged. And evidently the request will be made once this creator program comes into play here, the request will be made for 40% of profit. So at a certain level, it all just comes down to money, which is a little, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. for all the, the, the rhetoric about principle, at a certain level, it just comes down to money. Also. Sure. So. Sure. Um, I, I will point out just a really brief tangent, but it does give me a little bit of uh, appreciation for Nintendo's position. Um, a, 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 a new service that I won't name, uh, basically what they're doing is they were saying, hey, if you follow someone on Twitter or Instagram, punch in their name into our site, it'll come up. You can pledge money to that service and then we'll track them down and say, hey, we have money for you. Yeah, uh, this is a crazy thing, right? Yes, it, it, that that is nuts. Um, and so, uh, w- so we were tagged with that. Someone said, "Hey, I'm supporting this." I'm like, "Well, we haven't signed up to any services." And we look, and sure enough, they have like your brand is sitting on someone else's site. Uh, you have no, yeah, I didn't even know they existed until someone was giving them money to then give to me, apparently. Um, and uh, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, what are they doing with my brand, my likeness, my Twitter account? You know, what are they taking all this stuff, accepting money on my behalf and promising to pass it on or refund it if I say no? Uh, the whole thing was just weird and gross and icky. And and I can imagine that if I'm Nintendo and I'm making uh, these kind of games and then uh, somebody who curses a lot and everything else is taking my brand and I, I you know, just kind of like spouting out stuff around there. That's that's a really weird, uncomfortable place to be in uh, for sure. Yeah. And just to... Yes bookend this we were talking about angry joe's um and nintendo giving him a hey don't stream that notice copyright claim when he was streaming mario party 10 is the genesis of this uh conversation cool uh, christian what is your uh your story of the week I, though there's three things and i'm really evenly split between them um i'm not going to do on live, I'm not. I, I do streaming uh, that kind of stuff too much, so I'm. I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip that. I think it's interesting, but I'm not going to do it. Instead, uh, the, the the most frowny face story of this week for me is Quantum Break being delayed to 2016, joining the likes of um, Uncharted Four. Right? Is it 2016? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Delays, yeah. delays, delays, delays. Frowny face, frowny face, frowny face. And a statement from um, head of publishing at Microsoft is. You know, we've got a strongest lineup in Xbox history right now. 2015 blockbuster exclusives like Halo 5, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Fable Legends, Forza 6. And I don't disagree with that. They have, I'd mentioned this last week. I mean, I think their holiday lineup is pretty incredible. Um, But it does make me sad because I thought Quantum Break was going to do, well, one, Quantum Break is a game I was looking forward to regardless because... Alan Wake is a phenomenal experience. If you haven't picked it up and you have a PC, especially pick it up. It's usually very cheap um, out there for PC. And I imagine it's cheap for 362 because it's old. Um, But it was such a cool idea of this episodic story with live action video and telling the story through a narrative in a complex and new and interesting way and pushing both film slash TV and gaming media into this convergence of new which is always exciting i think in in this hobby i like seeing people experimenting with new forms of storytelling and so seeing it delayed to 2016 makes me sad because i'm 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 worried now granted alan wake was delayed 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 as well but i feel like with the closure of microsoft studios their video or 
TV arm, and now them saying that this show with this show was still happening for this game, but now the delay. I am I am nervous about what is going to become of Quantum Break. Are those fears justified, Jeff, or is this just remedy being remedy and the game's going to be great? Well, I think the big question mark, as you said, is that weird TV show tie-in because we've never really seen that work too well. That was that MMO whose name escapes me right now, that futuristic MMO that uh, had a TV show for a while. Oh, yeah, it's on sci-fi or something, yeah. right? What was it called? I can't remember. Uh, maybe the chat room will help us out. But um, but yeah, I think this is largely unprecedented as far as kind of you know making these things live in the same universe and being released around the same time. And it must be a really difficult thing to coordinate. But, um, I, you know, I think generally speaking, we have gotten to the point where delays are good. <laughs> I think what we've seen in the last year are, hey, there's a heck of a lot of games that should have been delayed. <laughs> and I think from from my perspective, yes, it's it's a bummer that uh, Zelda got delayed. Yes, it's a bummer Uncharted got delayed. Yes, it's a bummer that we're not going to be playing Quantum Break this calendar year. But from my perspective, delays are generally good. <laughs> that usually means, I mean, this is a high profile game. It's still going to happen. It's still going to be all those things that you described it as. Uh, but hopefully it'll just be done when it's done. Do you uh, what's think, your take? Oh, sorry, sorry, real quick. Sorry. One other question on this. Do you think delays are good or um, this is also to resident programmer in the chat space, Bob, who I believe is a programmer and mentions how hard it is. Are delays good because the game's going to be better or delays a sign of poor project management at the top and false expectations and goals? Is it like Boston's big dig when they undergrounded that huge freeway and like, it'll be done in four years or whatever. And it took or every in. project in Los Angeles. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at what point? Are these project managers, are they just lying to shareholders and teams and then to consumers like, it's going to come out in 2015? And inside they're like, no way, this is coming out in 2015. Or is it they get in there and they start making the cake and they're like, oh, goodness, we, uh, we're going to need more time for this to bake. You know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy who's inside that process, so I can't really give any insight, but I, I suspect it's more of the latter than the former. I suspect video games be hard. And I think uh, making <laughs> making games out on the the scale that we're making them now, money wise, assets wise, size of team, all that stuff is unruly. And th these projects are hard to make right. And kudos to companies that are willing to, um, you know, push push back their income a little bit to try to get a product that's actually done. But Sean, so you're what's saying, your take? You're saying making uh, well, video games is the hardest Souls game of all. <laughs> uh, i think i think it's insanely complex i mean you know not to put uh dlc on blast we were 10 minutes late even doing this and it's three yeah. people a producer and in live streaming some audio like and you know like so 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 you know what a few months on something where potentially you've got development teams uh, in belarus and and south korea and montreal uh, all working on different aspects of games you know i'm pointing specifically to ubisoft Ubisoft. Uh, I'm stunned Ubisoft um, has the success and consistency they do, despite, you know, obviously Assassin's Creed Unity was a pretty rough uh, launch, to say the least. Um, it's insanely complex. Uh, even in my, my day job where I need to manage, uh, you know, projects, maybe the budget is like a million dollars. And maybe there's five primary people involved and then a lot of like subcontractors and trades. 
I rarely see a project come out on time. Like there, it is always way more complex and there's way more moving parts than we could ever uh, account for uh, when we're playing the end result and saying like, well, what's so hard about this? Like <laughs> you plop yeah. some guys down there, you do some graphics and you know, shooty, they, shooty, shooty, done I mean, and done. <laughs> this is remedy. You're playing a, uh, a white scruffy haired guy with a gun taking cover <laughs> and shooting be? people. How many times have they already done this? This should be like, an easy bake cake for them, you know? So it's, it's obviously uh, very complex and, and Remedy is obviously good at what they do. Although I will say Alan Wake, a lot of neat ideas. The execution was kind of flat uh, in terms really? of the actual, in terms of the gameplay. I love the, I uh, the atmosphere Wake. and the story. The actual gameplay was very samey. And I feel like quantum break is going to fall into that trap. It's going to be a lot of uh, cover based shooting uh, between really interesting cutscenes. is, Man, is sort Sean. of my take on it. Sean, you just lit me up with the flashlight and shot me. Shots fired. Shots, Shots fired. Yeah, that's right. You know what? It's hard to be in the light sometimes, but the truth will set you free. <laughs> oh, there we go. I would just I would just <laughs> like to say that while we announced an 11 a.m. every Monday release date for this show, uh, sometimes we have to push back to Q1 of 11 a.m. And uh, <laughs> things happen, you know, it's unforeseen. There was a lot of bugs. <laughs> Yeah, sure. You know, these things yeah. happen. You know, you could patch it later, edit the audio after and and you know, <laughs> in 6 months this will be a much better show. Exactly. The, the, the Christian Spicer skin packs are coming out and they're <laughs> Those are only a small extra fee, but so worth it. You can get so the classic pack where I still have a beard. It's pretty good. <laughs> Um, let's, uh, let's, before we get to my story of the week, let's talk a little bit about the, since Christian cheated and brought up two stories in his intro, let's talk about that second story because, um, on live, which, Hey, surprise everybody. It wasn't dead is now dead. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of people assumed that it was gone already, but now it is officially gone as of, uh, it will be officially gone as of April 30th. And, uh, Sony swooped in and purchased some of their, some of their uh, intellectual property here, um, which, you know, I would say probably bolsters their own streaming ideas um, on live seems like a an idea that was ahead of its time. It seems like we're going to have what on live promised from a whole bunch of people, including Sony. But on live was just a little bit too early and it, usually the first to market uh, of these technologies uh, have a bit of an advantage because it's not like this was you know five years ahead of its time it was just a little bit ahead of its time but now it seems to be working why were we so skeptical then and are willing to believe it now what did they do wrong sean do you have any ideas uh well let me ask a, a quick question first how many games have you streamed to your console um, very few. I think this is, yeah, a, this is yeah. Christian's Christian believes this is the future. Whereas I believe that virtual reality is the future. And that is our ongoing debate. Uh, <laughs> oh, dude, I so didn't I'm even a, open that can of worms. Uh, no, I'm going to let him play, ha- PlayStation let him now service specifically, um, is, is kind of the only one that's, that's basically doing what on live was. And, and I actually tried it. I, I rented a, I can't even remember. I think it was like one of the samurai games. Some I never played something. I'll probably not go out and seek out to play necessarily. And it was like eight bucks to rent it for a, a, a given block of time. Um, it performed decently, but it wasn't great. And as I was playing it, I'm like, why wouldn't I just either get a download it and play it like I normally would uh, get a physical disc or wait for it to go on sale. Uh, the, the whole experience, it just, the, 
it didn't really convince me there's a really great value proposition there. And I think that's what on live came up against. Christian, explain to Sean why you will be streaming Alan Wake constantly. Streaming is the future that we won't realize we're living in until it's there. My analogy is when you're skiing in, you know, Aspen or wherever, right? And you're, you're on your phone streaming Spotify music and then you get to the top of a double black diamond and your phone stops service and you're angry. And you're like, what the heck? I was going to listen to this Rage Against the Machine song as I tore up this double, which by the way, I'm super back into Rage. Those remasters are so good. Um, it, it's like you're frustrated. And then you re- take a minute to realize what's going on and you're like holy crap i'm in the future i think at some point game streaming will be that where i will go over to my friend's house and be like hey let's play dude you got to check out bloodborne it's too hard for me. let's just see and then i you know type in a quick password or tap something on my phone and it registers me where my game is where my save is and i'm up and playing on jeff's tv because it's a small netflix type app running streaming things from a supercomputer wherever the heck it is and then that's incredible. And then one day you'll be mad or my daughter will be mad because we'll be driving to uh, some beautiful state park in Utah and she'll be in the back seat trying to play Minecraft, still Minecraft. It won't be a sequel because Minecraft will never die. And we'll go through a cell dead zone and she'll be upset that it's not streaming down to our minivan or whatever. That's the future. And that's where okay. we're going. On Live was ahead of its time. And Sony isn't there yet, but I love that people are trying to do it. That's how I think it's the future. Imagine, Jeff, pair that with the VR headset. Now you have freedom because the VR headset doesn't need to be tangled to a computer because it's taking internet packages or streaming stuff straight to the headset. And now you can just have your headset in any game you want, whenever, wherever you are. The future. But the what? headset makes means that I don't have to leave my house. So wh- <laughs> why would I need to leave my house? I've point, seen pictures of people at, at on planes with headsets on. It's not a comfortable feeling uh, for anybody <laughs> involved in that process. Even for me, looking at it on my screen, it's not comfortable. Uh, and it, it's actually interesting. Uh, I forget his name, but the guy who started on live, uh, and, and I think that in some ways he was definitely ahead of his time, uh, he is actually currently working on improving cell networks uh, to handle uh, all these overloaded uh, cell towers and stuff with something called Artemis, which basically is a, uh, a uh, kind of an antenna mathematical thing where basically it's in real time um, mathematically organizing all the cell signals and everything. So it's a lot more efficient, which pre- presumably means you can have a lot more speed available. And when you're at, say, like a stadium, you're not going to have uh, the cell network crashing because they don't have enough towers and they get overloaded. So that kind of cell network technology, it's almost like he did on live and said, there's some real challenges here. And I think why wireless is going to be the way to solve them. And now he's working on how to get the wireless cell networks faster and more efficient so they can do stuff like this easier so it's interesting to see what the next thing he's on to which is kind of addressing some of the problems on live uh ran into i i think it is surmountable um in a world where if we can get faster than light uh internet to everybody um but at the same time we're already getting 4k televisions uh that is a lot of data to push yeah. over anything and, and the infrastructure required for that is going to be immense. Uh, so I, I, I can definitely see it becoming a thing. The moment it's seamless, it's the same with VR. The moment it's seamless, I'm right there. Let's, let's go for it. But right now, the way it stands, uh, I'm not surprised on live is dead and I'm not surprised PlayStation now isn't really being talked about as something that is just blowing people away. 
One thing that jumped out at me about this story and, and people were tweeting it at me because I, you know, do like this technology. And I think, Jeff, you described it the way I understand it. But The Verge has a headline on this saying Sony buys streaming game service on live only to shut it down. And I think that's an example of gotcha um, reporting and clickbaity headlining. And I also think inaccurate. Spurious. My yeah, it's not my understanding. Standing is that they shut down and Sony went in and then gobbled up some patents, basically giving OnLive, you know, some money and Sony saying, hey, now we have these patents. We don't need to worry about patent trolls later because the tech is similar. And I've read a few other stories. Is that your understanding that the system, I mean, sorry, the company kind of closed and then Sony bought patents or am I wrong? Did Sony buy it to shutter it? Uh, my reading I, I, of the story seemed that to be, to be the, the former. That it, there's the statement <clears throat> from OnLive said that we are happy that Sony is validating innovations on OnLive by purchasing our IP and selected assets. So I feel like they were headed, you know, they were kind of just selling things off because the oh, company yeah. was. If you went to the OnLive website, it's been a ghost town for a year. Like the library they had available to actually stream, they've had very little publisher support uh, and very little push in the past, you know, 12, 18 months. So I, I think it's mostly just getting, scratching out some money where they can with the technology and, and shuttering it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, before we go on, I do need to thank our sponsor, Squarespace. Oh, we're excited when Squarespace sponsors the show because Squarespace is simple, powerful, beautiful. I built my own website, jeffcanada.com, on Squarespace Low those many years ago, and I still use it to this very day because it's easy, it's awesome, it makes for beautiful websites that are unique and powerful, and I really enjoy the tool set. It's all in browser. It makes it so easy. I can do it from my phone. I can update from uh, on the go like that. It's great. Uh, Squarespace is always there for you when you need them. They have a 24-7 support via live chat and email, and it starts at just 8 bucks a month. You get a free domain name. If you buy Squarespace for a year and every site made on Squarespace is automatically going to be responsive. So your website scales and it looks great on any device. If people look at it on an iPad, on an uh, Android phone, it, it automatically scales. So you don't have wonky looking weird websites, depending on which device you're looking at. Plus, every website comes with a free online store. So if you have anything to sell, it makes it easy. You just drag and drop the little online store widget into your website and and it works. Boom. They have a cool thing called cover pages. It's a feature that allows you to set up a beautiful one page online presence in just minutes. This is the easiest way to get your website up and rolling for any kind of online presence you might need. So get started with a free trial. There's no credit card required whatsoever. That is completely free. They're not going to automatically charge you after your free period has expired because they don't have your credit card. They will only take your credit card if you have decided you want to buy their service, which I find so admirable and I really love that that part of it. So get started on your website today by going to squarespace.com slash DLC. Specifically use that URL, squarespace.com slash DRC. And then use our offer code, which is Jeff sent me, and you'll get 10% off your order, and show your support for DLC. So that's squarespace.com slash DLC and the offer code Jeff sent me. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Uh, all right, so my uh, there's some interesting stories to discuss, but I think my favorite was submitted by Datsim1015 on Twitter, and it's this patch that Rockstar did for GTA V. Evidently, there was a single-player exploit where you could get this really awesome uh, car that you weren't supposed to be able to get. And, uh, they patched it 
but instead of patching it out, they still let you get the car. But as soon as you try to get in the car, the car explodes, killing you. And there's no way for it not to kill you. And I just find that to be a gloriously elegant, very GTA way to deal with the situation. And I love anytime developers use the sort of, uh, in-game fiction of the world to, to deal with this kind of stuff. I, I, it shows a playfulness and a commitment to the product that I think is, it needs to be highlighted and which is why I wanted to make it my story of the week. Um, what do you think, Sean? Uh, I think it's beautiful um, when they can do that kind of stuff and have fun with it, right? I think that's the important thing because uh, you, you see a lot of things where every once in a while you'll just see an announcement from Valve saying, yeah, we just did a sweep and banned 100,000 cheaters just so yeah. everybody knows. Like there's these kind of uh, bloody night of knives uh, every once in a while. So it's always nice when they address it in, in a more fun way that even the people who are doing the exploit, because let's face it, if it's an exploit, and it's just something you do in game, just like with uh, Bloodborne, there's an exploit, quote unquote, apparently, where if you just leave the game running for 12 hours without turning it off, the boss, some yeah. of the bosses get really easy for no apparent reason. <laughs> they get uh, dumb. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it would be it'd be funny if the blood if Bloodborne patched and didn't and just made the bosses harder if you do that, because it's not something a normal <laughs> person would do. Right. otherwise right uh, so yeah. I, I love it when they do that kind of stuff uh, it's always super good it, it makes me think of uh, there's i can't even think of specific examples off the top of my head there has been game developers who for the pirated version of their game they haven't rendered it not working but they've done something so that people will post in their form saying like hey i've got this bug i'm not sure what's going on and they'll be like oh well that's because you pirated it that only shows yeah. up in that version of the game little little things like that i think i i think are clever and i i really appreciate that one of my favorite examples from the the olden days uh, was there was, I think, Space Quest 2, uh, the old Sierra point and click adventure game. Uh, they used to sell hint books. This is pre-internet days, kids. So I think you can imagine that we had to go to the store and buy a hint book and uh, it would give you hints in sort of increasing levels of of on the nose. So it could sort of give you a vague hint. And then if you you would use this little highlighter and it would reveal the next hint down. And if there was one section where it would literally give you a step by step of how to get through this, if you got to the lowest level, the most obvious version of the hint. And if you did the step by step and exactly the steps it said the game would go hey get your head out of the hint book which i thought was so brilliant <laughs> like it knew that you did it in exactly the steps that the hint book it said maybe try it on your own next time and get your head out of the hint book i, I mm. love that i love that kind of thing anyway christian you have a do you have an example of something like this or what do you think Oh, hey, sorry. I, uh, I missed what you guys said. I was turning on my PS4 and starting Bloodborne. Um, <laughs> 10 minutes sorry, down. I, I said it. It's just kind of this weird trigger oh, thing where as soon as oh, somebody says Bloodborne, you just fire it up. 11 hours, 50 minutes to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stuff like that is a, great. And GTA, yeah. of Rockstar's the ones to do it, right? I mean, they are going to flip the bird at their community in the best way possible when they can, when it's something like this, when it's a cheat and an exploit. And um, of course, of course they're going to do that. And I almost feel like that when your car does blow up, you're like, you shake your fist at Rockstar and then you're like, you got me. <laughs> you're not even angry. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Nintendo Direct that happened this week. They, um, I guess, 
they didn't realize it was April Fool's Day, but they actually put out a whole bunch of news on, on April 1st, um, including um, Nintendo 64 titles and Nintendo DS titles coming to Virtual Console for the first time, which is pretty cool. A new Fire Emblem coming in 2016. A new Fatal Frame coming to the Wii U that's going to use the Wii Pad as a, as a camera, looking through the Wii Pad to take pictures, which I think is a brilliant and obvious and necessary use of that tech. Uh, and then Amiibos galore. Amiibos for everybody. Amiibos here, Amiibos there. We realize we're making lots of money from Amiibos. Everybody gets an Amiibo. Boy, you get an boy, Amiibo. Boy, people are really amiibo. loving that whole Amiibo thing, aren't they? You don't get yeah. the Amiibo you want, though. Everybody gets an Amiibo. But good luck finding the Amiibo you want. Plush oh. Amiibos, guys. Wooly Amiibos. Mmm, so good. Uh, I, I've I've seen. There's been. Uh, I haven't seen rage like this since Beanie Babies, uh, <laughs> where people are just going ballistic uh, for these amiibos. And the only difference being, of course, compared to Beanie Babies, they do have some function, even if the function tends to be what amounts to cheat codes uh, for for a lot of games. Like if you play the latest Kirby game and you have one of the three Kirby related amiibos, you can get a little power up for a given level that you're on. Uh, you know, you can be you have a little bit more health or have a special attack you can do and then it goes away. And apparently you can only use it once a day like there's there's things like that. But the way people are are just slobbering all over these amiibos, it is this sort of scarcity beanie baby style rush. And I don't know if that's calculated on Nintendo's part or if they're just not anticipating the demand. Uh, LM10 in the chat says that what they're doing with amiibos is so insulting. If people want them, why not make them available? Do you, is that how you feel? Do you think that they should, they no. should be? Uh... Why would Nintendo want to turn away money? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, I was reading on Wired about this and, and Magic the Gathering has had to really deal with this with certain Magic the Gathering cards being really rare and creating this bubble market where people are spending way too much money, uh, for these cards. So Magic responds by just making more of that card, uh, and making sure it's out there so that there's not this weird secondary market. A, where, uh, in Magic or in this case, Nintendo, it's not like Nintendo's getting a cut. Just like people streaming their games, it's not like Nintendo's getting a cut when somebody sells a Marth figure on eBay for $200, right? So right. It, it really behooves Nintendo to crank these out as much as possible and make something that's going to be sustainable uh, for people instead of selling it and, God forbid, saying, oh, we're never making these again. Like, as soon as you say that, it's such, a, it's such an unfriendly approach to this kind of thing um, that uh, I think Nintendo's being just a little too demure about the Amiibo thing, and they just need to crank it up some more. They don't know what they're doing. I, every week I will say this. I love Nintendo. I play a lot of Nintendo games. I've owned almost every iteration of Nintendo hardware. They don't. Th- there's no way this is as calculated as it's... They put out a press release saying, you know, sign up 10 a.m. to go and get your rare whatever Amiibo. Little do they know that the store launched it at 3 a.m. Or like I get an email from Nintendo that's like, gear up for Gold Mario. Time to get excited. And Gold, Gold Mario has been sold out for two weeks. When you, then you send me the PR email about going to pre go head over to your local Best Buy to get Gold Mario. Nintendo, I can't. My local Best Buy's <laughs> Amiibo section has been burnt to the freaking ground. <laughs> like, I, I just don't think they get it. And the retailers are handling it weird. I think it was... Oh man, it was one of them. GameStop, Target, or whatever sent out a thing, and it was 10 a.m. Uh, is when our pre-orders go live for whomever Amiibo. And then they flipped the switch. I think it was at like 2:04 a.m. <laughs> and they sold out in 10 minutes. It's 
it's crazy. And I don't, I don't know what the problem is on Nintendo. If it's production or coordinating all of these retailer exclusives has become um, too difficult of a task to keep straight and when things go live and when they don't. I get, get having a buzz. Collectibles are cool. I like collectibles. I, I understand that market and you want to have some scarcity. But the way they're doing it isn't creating scarcity in a collectible. I think it's creating frustration and you're getting people like myself who would maybe otherwise be more interested in these. I've now checked out. Some of my friends are still really, really hardcore into it and you know stay up all night to do it. But I think the more mid-tier collector is is less interested. And then, of course, there's the kid or this the interested in, I have Kirby. I want to get this power up. Oh, wait, I can't find a Kirby Amiibo anywhere. And that's just money on the table that Nintendo's not taking, which is, um, I think, idiotic. Why? 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 What? What is the drive? Do you think behind collecting this stuff? Uh, that that's like they're just little plastic figures, well, right? Anything, You're not, though. People are, yeah, I guess, I, I guess so. You know, I've got little th- uh, figures that are actually about that size. Do you remember Strong Bad? Oh from, yeah, from yeah. back in the day. Shut you know, I, yeah, of course. And and I bought like a little kid with like every Strong Bad character about the same size as an amiibo. And when I was moving to my new house uh, a month ago, I was looking at them. I'm like. Why do I still have these? I don't care about <laughs> Strong Bad anymore, and and I'm and I wonder if you're going to have fifty amiibos on a shelf somewhere, and you're just thinking like, why? Like I don't know. Like they just the shine wears off so quickly, and there's such a not there's no practical use for them to a certain extent. Um, it just seems like uh, I just can't help but feel like it's so utterly materialistic. It's just it's hard not to feel a little cynical about the whole thing. I, How I dare agree. you apply logic to purchasing habits? <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing. I totally agree. But if you own more than two pair of pants and four shirts that aren't just plain shirts and a plain jacket, it's, you know what I mean? Everything's the same. We're all horrible people. We're all materialistic jerks. And uh, me, 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 F the Joneses. We hate each other. Yes. In an ideal world, right? We're all on a farm hanging out in Portlandia. <laughs> But, I mean, I think we all own stupid collectibles that we look at and are like, yeah, cool. I have my records framed on a wall. Why? I can't even listen to them. (laughs) It's all dumb. It's all dumb. Well, I can say this. I I don't know what the next Nintendo hardware that they've teased will be, but I bet you it's going to support Amiibo. That's that's one thing that seems certain. Uh, This is one uh, home run that they seem to be making right now. Um all right. Uh, we did have, as I've mentioned several times already, we did have April Fool's Day this week, and uh, I find it to be a little uh, tiresome sometimes. Just, just everybody's got to do it. But there is some clever April Fool's uh, gags, uh, video game related gags around the web, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about them. If you guys have seen any that that you appreciated, I, for my part, I think the best April Fool's gag is one that's obviously a gag you know it's fine to to do something silly i don't like the oh we fooled you we told you you want there's something that you really wanted and it's not a thing that you really wanted oh ha ha we win those i don't find to be particularly fun the like the the honest desire to to fool someone but these silly things and there's a whole bunch of them that happened and i'm wondering uh, if you guys saw any and and what what you liked if there were any that that teased you and, and you thought were funny uh sean did you have any um you know i, I really like what think geek does uh with april fools uh, they're they're obviously it, it is it's an interesting funny test bed uh for for ideas so it's clearly not real products but there's some right. stuff there where you're like yeah you know i would i might get on board with that uh, and some like of them another- have turned into real products 
Oh, completely. And I think that that's just a that's a really fun and exciting way to kind of market test a lot of different ideas. So you can have a good laugh, but some of it's like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, you know, I, I I wouldn't mind a little arcade cabinet for my iPad. That is kind right. of a cool idea. You know, I like that kind of stuff. Did you see the Steam machine that they did this year? Oh my <laughs> god, how good. cool! That was the controller good. alone is so rad looking. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Um, I really loved uh, PlayStation Flow. Did you guys see the video for PlayStation Flow, which is the next step now that Morpheus is happening? We, we you know, all these types of games, you're going to feel like you're inside them, but there's one part of every kind of game that you don't ever really feel, and that is underwater levels. And now for the first time, PlayStation Flow will let you feel what it's like to do an underwater level. And it's like little like swimmy arms that you put on that are sensors and goggles. And it's like all that you need to do when you get to a swimming level pause your game go put on your swimsuit put on these things find a <laughs> pool get into that pool unpause your game <laughs> it's like and then you're in the water level in a pool experiencing the water level uh i thought that was clever and funny yeah and i, I like that it pokes fun at game design because the swimming parts of games are always the most boring so i, I like right. that they kind of take a little bit of fun out of themselves too yeah um i also enjoyed big head mode in uh Heroes of the Storm. It's fun. That's a fun thing. Or like uh, what what um, Path of Exile did, where they just released a bunch of cats into into all the levels, and there was just like little cats running around all the levels. I like that <laughs> kind of stuff. It makes you feel feel special when you log into a game that you play a lot. Uh, yeah. Christian, did you have any favorites? There was a um, Fast to the Future trailer done that was just you know editing clips of Vin Diesel in a car cut with the Back to the Future two car around a, sit- a modern street. And it was short enough and dumb enough for me to be like, yeah, I like that. (laughs) So I'm sure it's still on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, The uh, Air and Space Museum uh, had uh, Wonder Woman's invisible jet on display. I thought that was kind of (laughs) clever. That was kind of cute. clever. I like that. Yeah, there's, you know, some fun, clever stuff. Unfortunately, it's underneath a whole bunch of really annoying, like, oh, I clicked on that link because it sounded like something and it just was not anything. Um, never gonna yeah. give you up never gonna mi- i got you <laughs> i put a headline that's a total lie and then i rickrolled you joke oh, so <laughs> good so rich uh all right guys let's uh let's get to the playlist john what is on your playlist this week there i i've been on a kind of a renaissance Lately, between Pillars of Eternity, uh, which is out for PC and Mac, uh, and then Bloodborne on the PS4, I- I've been spoiled for choice. And and as much as I'm a Demon Souls, Dark Souls fan, I've really been enjoying Bloodborne. Pillars of Eternity is what gobbled up the last yeah, about a week of my life. Pill- it's just been Pillars until I finished it. it. Took me about sixty hours, I think, to wrap it up. Man, you having the exact same experience with as you. I have both games and the one that has kept me engaged and kept me coming back for more is Pillars. Um, I'm certainly not as far as you are, but I'm, I'm, oh, I don't know, about, uh, eight or 10 hours into it and, uh, really digging it. Tell me, tell me what you like about it. Uh, well, one thing I like about it is, is, is that it's not Heroes of the Storm, uh, which is probably what? why you've only put eight or ten hours into it so far. I think you could do better, to be honest, um, just between you yeah, and me. Yeah, uh, I'm level 44 <laughs> on Hero League, and I jo- by the way, I joined the Gamers with Jobs Team League, I'll have you know, and we are rocking. 
So that's good. I, I'm not so I, surprised. You know, I can by talk about Heroes of the Storm. If you want to bring up Heroes of the Storm, I can talk about Heroes of the Storm. I just just <laughs> give me an excuse. Just just poke the tiger, Sean. Just poke the tiger. I can't help it. When we, I played it after you played it for one or two days, and we played together, and you were so kind and so gentle in telling me how to play and what to do, and and now you've just turned into this monster who's just just telling everybody how they're supposed to play the game and everything else, and oh. Uh, it's just so it's wonderful. I love it. I love seeing you turn to this this dark side. Uh, it's it's a it's a new side of Jeff Kanata. I really appreciate. I am become death. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Pillars of Eternity, uh, I've I really really dug it. Um, I'm a big fan of Baldur's Gate. Uh, Baldur's Gate Two, obviously, Icewind Dale, uh, Planescape Torment, uh, all those games back in the day. Those hit Baldur's Gate came out when I was about 18 years old, and I bought that original Baldur's Gate package with like the five CDs in it. When I at a time when I wasn't even really into computer RPGs yet, and and it really won me over. So it's been a long, long time since we've had a company come out and put out something that is so uh, it's so it, it's unique, but it's also nostalgic all at the same time. Um, it it really takes me back to that day and playing those games and really immersing into these big stories. Uh, but it does it with. Uh, a whole new RPG system. It's not bogged down by D&D at all. Um, a lot of different classes you've never seen before. Everything works differently. The stats are all different. You got to relearn a lot of things. You can't just run off your assumptions. Uh, I've likened it to kind of like being used to the Halo control system and then now playing Killzone. Like the original mm, kill zone, yeah. which kind of said, while well, we're doing our own thing, it's a little bit like that in that like in this in in this game, intelligence actually will have an impact on, say, a fighter or a barbarian, you know, and, and right. perception will have an impact on your ability to fight well. So it's not just, oh, you're a fighter? Well, strength, constitution, max them out and off you go. They've actually made an RPG system that gives you a lot of flexibility with a lot of really cool uh, classes and stuff. And they've wrapped that all up in actually a really, really well-written, well-crafted adult story that's really cool and it really fun to follow through all the way to the end i actually finished the game wanting more uh after 60 hours wow. i felt like i could have played another 40 and been quite happy doing it yeah i i have been loving it as well the the systems are fantastic as you said that rethinking of the stat system is so it seems so obvious like why didn't anybody do that before to create builds that are just far more interesting and far more dynamic uh there's reasons to put uh, points into stealth if you're not a rogue you know there's reasons to to do stuff in the game that you wouldn't normally do in a role-playing game like that um i'm curious how you feel about how stuck into the old school it is i mean i you know i i my game of the year last year was divinity original sin i loved it so much um and, and and this scratches some of those same itches and i love that old school approach but i felt like having er every area you go into be locked into that same sized map grid mm -hmm. made the game made those areas feel small and uh disconnected to each other and i felt like they could have connected things better and made the world feel uh less like a, a node system and more like this big map that i'm exploring um you're talking, talking about, about that first of all, but pillars of eternity. Yes, yes. pillars of eternity. Uh, pillars of eternity, and um, 
it's an interesting question. I think that one of the reasons why we see a lot of indies and we see a lot of Kickstarter games that are really throwbacks to older design is because older design was limited by things like how much RAM you had to work with and, and the kind of CPUs that were out at that time. And that, that inherent limitation in, in the game design uh, translates well when you have a smaller budget. Like making a Pillars of Eternity open world game uh, would have required a uh, tremendous amount of content to fill in all those gaps. One of the things I appreciate about Pillars is that when I go into an area on the map, I know there's going to be interesting stuff there. And Mm -hmm. I know that it's not going to take me a long time to find it. And not only that, I know I'm not going to have to fight about 400 wolves in order to get to it, uh, which is the other thing. Because one of the things Pillars does that does break away from tradition is that you don't actually get a lot of experience for fighting stuff. Um, When you're fighting, say, like, say you run into a wolf pack, and you fight a wolf, you'll get some experience for killing it. And you fight another set, you'll get some more. And then on the third time, it's like, okay, you know as much as you need to know about killing wolves really well. You don't get yeah. any more experience for killing wolves. Uh, and so right. it actually incentivizes you to avoid combat because there's no grind. It, it, so it does focus you more on the story, finding non-combat ways around things and, and doing stuff like that. So I, I kind of appreciate that they they purposefully limited some of their areas and design in order to uh, make the content a little more densely packed. Um, it's, it's something I kind of appreciated. But on the other hand, my in, in the old school Baldur's Gate way, the main character that you create is kind of a cipher. Uh, you you yeah. do make dialogue decisions and things like that. But one of the areas Bioware really evolved is they created like Shepard in Mass Effect. And even though I'm piloting Shepard and I'm making... Uh, you know, decisions in the in the dialogue and stuff, it still feels like I'm watching like this fleshed out character doing stuff. And so I, I have more engagement. Same with Dragon Age Inquisition. In Pillars of Eternity, you can be a dwarf, you can be an elf, you can be a human, you can be a weird godlike. It doesn't really have a major impact on the story and there's no real emotional resonance with that character. So it's kind of got two two parts to that um but given the budget they probably had to work with and the fact that they stuck with the hand-drawn art style they've made a really dense interesting story and interesting side characters uh, i don't miss it so much and and so far pillars is probably my favorite game of the year so far yeah and and the story itself as you said is well written but also has juicy decisions to be made i felt like i'm constantly thinking about how i want to approach uh, these these characters and what kind of uh person i want to present to them and it's not i mean usually there's the like total a-hole option and total nice guy option but there's a lot of variance in between there and you can craft your own personality from it and you know perhaps it's a blank slate but it's a blank slate that i get to impart my personality onto. And I thought that the writing was nuanced enough that I felt that those distinctions made a difference for me because I, you know, I wanted my character to respond in a certain, with a certain amount of, of nuance and Mm -hmm. and it was there available to me. And in most of the situations throughout the game are shades of gray, even by the very end, it's not like there's a clear evil way and good way. Uh, I think we can thank games like the Witcher for blazing yeah. that trail and creating a lot more nuance and, and getting us out of the sort of broad strokes, uh, good versus evil. The, the last thing I'd want to mention about Pillars of Eternity, which is something I ignored until about 40 hours in the endless paths dungeon, uh, which mm-hmm. is underneath your keep underneath your keep, are yeah. incredible. 
They okay. are such amazing dungeon design, great combat encounters, a really interesting story within that dungeon that has not, you could not go in there at all and finish the game, but don't ignore it. That was one of their Kickstarter uh, stretch goals was making that dungeon. It's massive and it's like old school dungeon crawling uh, with your party. It is, it is so good. Uh, I, I just, I love that. I've, I'm actually started a new game on a harder difficulty because I didn't fully explore that dungeon and I want to spend more time going into the depths. I've only gone like 10 levels in so far. That's awesome. How did you, yeah. how did you manage combat? I, I feel like it's a bit of, um, uh, it's a bit of a, uh, organized chaos. Uh, the, the real time combat. Do you, do you pause frequently? Do you sort of yeah. just click on icons and let things happen? <laughs> See what happens. Uh, yeah. I, I do pause a fair bit. Um, you can, uh, and a good tip for anybody playing pillars, uh, remember there is a way to accelerate game speed when you're running around. You, it's actually the WASD, uh, keys on your keyboard. So if you press D, the game run, you run around faster. If you press A, it plays out slower. So when you actually slow things down, the combat will slow down too. So you can still pause, but the actual animations and stuff play out slower. So you can pay more attention to the combat dialogue, uh, you know, the rundown of all the stats going by and all the roles and everything, um, which helps a lot. But really, uh, Pillars took me, Jeff, like I'd say 10, 15 hours before I really felt like I've had the flow. Because yeah. between trying to figure out endurance and health and how different stats play off each other, how different powers play off each other, how to like see, is this guy resisting burning or not? And just trying to figure all that stuff out. It just, it takes time because it's different than what you're used to. But once, once you crack it, it starts to make a lot more sense. I actually found once I got six players in my party, just six, like my, I had a full party, basically playing mm -hmm. on normal was actually a cakewalk. Uh, I felt the game mm -hmm. was actually really easy at that point. It's only when you get into hard, uh, you've actually got to really start looking at those things like resistances and potions and start getting yeah. a little more, a little, getting your hands a little more dirty in it. Uh, again, that's pillars of eternity. Uh, it's available. Uh, I think it's on steam, right? Yeah, it's on steam um, Mac and yeah. uh, PC, I believe. Yeah. So it'll, it'll support all that stuff. Super cool. Um, what else is on your playlist? Anything else you're playing lately? Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure that there'll be some Bloodborne talk. So I'll just mention uh, a game called Titan Souls, uh, mm. which is uh, an indie game uh, that's also available on Steam. Uh, so I believe it's just PC right now. And for Titans people who think Bloodborne is, is for wusses. Oh, yeah. No, if you think Bloodborne is too easy, then just go fire up Titan Souls. There's actually a demo. Um, it supports Steam Play. You can do it on Mac or PC. It's like 15 bucks. Uh, Titan Souls is a game in which you play from a top-down sort of Zelda, classic Zelda game style. Your little character on the screen, uh, at least in the demo that I was playing, I spent about an hour in it. You get a bow and arrow, and you just go out and do boss fights, basically. And so it mm -hmm. is does have that sort of... Um, that sort of uh, shadow of the Colossus feel of you against this one big enemy and being focused on that. But you die in one shot and you get one arrow. <laughs> and, and so uh -huh. you go into the boss and you go to fight him. You get one arrow to kind of go in. And so you're watching the boss's patterns. It's like a puzzle thing. You're trying to figure out what the boss is doing and how to combat it. Um, I got so frustrated by it. Uh, because you, it is really a trial and error. You need to, it's like Super Meat Boy. You need to die a lot to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I got, it, every time I die in the demo, they start you back in the middle of the map and you've got to run, uh, admittedly, maybe 20 seconds to get back to the boss, go into the temple and fight him again. But given that you die so quick and you're trying to learn the stuff, that's like a lot of like, oh, I'm dead. Run, 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 run. Oh, I'm dead. Run, run, run. I just kind of like, okay, like, uh, give me a quick restart outside the temple. 
so I can just go right back in and keep learning uh, or something else because it, it is so hard. Um, I, I have yet to beat a boss in that game. <laughs> that seems like uh, I could either play that game or just, you know, take a ball peen hammer to my forehead. Uh, pretty much the same same experience either way. <laughs> yeah. Or just watch someone stream it. You know, that's a great game to go. watch someone else play. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, Christian, are you still playing uh, Bloodborne? What's on your playlist? It starts with a, a little a little question as to whether or not we are in the best of times and the worst of times in gaming. I am still thoroughly enjoying my time with Ori in the Blind Forest on Xbox oh, One and okay. Bloodborne on PS4. The long sigh preceding those statements is because um, my Xbox One is done. It is dead. I spent uh, a lot of time chatting with Microsoft uh, representatives and working through the problems and um, the good news is it froze I think in a total of the two hours I was working with them uh, six times but they did compliment me on my choice of gamer tag three times so, <laughs> so that well, that's, in their, that's in their script I can almost guarantee that is in their script no way that's a cool gamer tag I bet it sounds cool when yeah. you say it too I bet that's original and only for me snarkiness aside <laughs> I am uh I am a sad panda the good news is of course um, where the consoles are right now that my save should be intact in the cloud should I invest in a new Xbox One. The question to you, gentlemen, and our audience is: uh, It's I think it's a, I'm out of warranty. If anyone knows a way to have it be in warranty, I'm listening. It's a day one edition. I'm out of warranty. I did not buy an extended um, protection plan from Best Buy or wherever you know whatnots. And I believe it's like 120 dollars to get Microsoft to fix it for me. Or I like the idea that you could be like, "Hey, man, no, no, no! I just bought this recently." And they're like, uh, "It says day one on it." Oh, <laughs> give me oh, a black yeah, that. I'll color that out. Uh, day, <laughs> year four edition. <laughs> um, so it's like pay the hundred and twenty bucks and get a you know have them fix it or sit and wait for post E three for a new bundle or something. Uh, no, uh, I think- God, it's such a bummer, isn't it? And I, I have a feeling Ori in the Blind Forest is slowly killing my Xbox One. Uh, like I, it, it doesn't perform super awesome, and, and I have had at least one hang playing well, that game. Yeah, Ori, I think, has its own problems that they say they're trying to patch. People on Twitter, as I was live-tweeting my frustrations with uh, the chat in my Xbox One, were like, well, it's your own fault. You had been talking about it on DLC, how it's been glitchy for a while, and yeah, maybe I sat on it too long and let it be out of warranty. I kept thinking it was software problems and that like updates would fix or whatever, whatever. And um, uh, I wasn't a power Xbox One user to begin with, but uh, it, it appears it is it is no more. I think I'm going to just not have an Xbox One for a while because there are no exclusives coming out in the near future. I think by the holiday, I will need to jump back in, but nothing right now screaming, play me. Um, but so I wanted to ask you guys, oh, so the, the next thing, uh, well, then I'll ask my, my, my questions to, to both of you bloodborne. Um, my save got corrupted at some point. I feel like it has to be my fault, right? <laughs> what am I doing? My, my save was corrupted and I, you know, Googled other people were experiencing similar issues. I was able to get it back. So I hadn't played. I'm not as far as I would like to be because I lost a lot of play time to recovering saves and whatever, whatever, whatever. But I got it back and I'm currently slogging my way through that game. So I have some questions for you guys about Bloodborne. We can get to those. But my first questions to you guys are, one, 
Um, hardware failures. Have either of you experienced recent hardware failures? And then sub question, how do you, what do you do when that happens? Is it like angry? This stinks. This is still in its product life cycle. Or is it, Hey, this is technology. Technology fails roll with it. I'll save up and get a new one. Second question. Uh, when you guys lose saves, how often do you go back to, to play that game like modern or advanced warfare? It deleted my save, you know, back way back when, when that was a known shippable in that game. And now I can't, but even when I could, I never went back to it, even though I really enjoyed the game. Just something about playing those four hours again put it off enough for me to not want to do it. So two parts, hardware failure, how do you deal with it? Second part, uh, save game deletion or corruption. How motivated are you then to then get back into it? Sean, you um, tackle that I, first. I, I go through the seven stages of grief. Um, for the most part <laughs> when I lose hardware. So I'm, I'm angry um, and, and there's pain and guilt involved, I think. Uh, but it's really the anger and bargaining stage uh, that, that really takes up a lot of time. That's probably what you were in with when you're on the phone with Microsoft. You're kind of like angry about it and you're bargaining with them, trying to convince them to fix it for free uh, or some story about how it's not your fault. Um, and then depression. And then apparently there's an upward turn, but I've yet to find it yet <laughs> uh, when that happens. Um, I my original Xbox 360. I think I went through three of them, um, and uh, and I had to send my Wii to be repaired once. Um, oddly enough, my PS3, the 60 gig fat PS3, still works to this day. And that Mine was a too. launch console. Oh, mine too. That thing, that thing is a tank. Um, yeah. But uh, but how to? But I, you know what? I th- I think I did buy a new 360 at some point. Like at some point, I just kind of threw out my hands because you know even getting Microsoft repaired for a hundred whatever it is dollars i'm assuming they're not going to warranty that for a year do they warranty it for a year if they fix it is it three months like it's a bit of a gamble um when doing that stuff so i just tend to get angry and eventually something comes out that forces me to get a new one yeah that's how i I am it's like oh sorry go ahead jeff i was i went through three uh 360s um during the the period and they were all red ringers uh, except for the third one who's still working. But, uh, but yeah, I still have my, my original 60 gig launch PS3. Uh, but those are really the only consoles that I ever had. Oh no, my 3DO had problems, but those are a, those a lifetime ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I did rebuy the stupid 360 because I had to and couldn't not play the games that were coming out for it. But yeah, you, you, it stings, man. It stings when you feel like, uh, I'm just buying the same thing again, which is the same thing with save games. I, I, I'm very fortunate. I'll knock on everything that, uh, I haven't really had many save game losses, but, uh, I have a real hard time. I have. This thing where if I, you know, I have a really terrible sense of direction and sometimes I'll get on the freeway going the wrong direction and I realize it halfway, you know, up the on-ramp and then realize it's like two miles to the next off-ramp and the entire time I'm driving those two miles the wrong direction is the most excruciating feeling because I'm, <laughs> well, I'm driving the wrong direction right now. And if I turn around, I'll still be having to drive, I'll still have to drive two miles back that I didn't have to drive. And that's what it feels like to replay parts of a game that I already did. <laughs> I have when the I have, game's not oh. meant for that, like Bloodborne, right? You're constantly replaying parts of the game, but that's right, right. the game. And, but yeah, it's well, so and, and acquiring when you're playing Bloodborne, acquiring that player skill is is part of the satisfaction. If you don't enjoy that, it's not a great game for you to play in the first place. Uh, whereas, like with Call of Duty, 
I, it's not, it's not even that you're, you're good at shooting already. It's that they're going to come out the exact same door in the exact same way every single time. And it, and yeah. it is kind of like just going through this by rote, uh, dance steps. So I, I think when I've lost saves, I can't pull a specific example. I tend to just walk away. Uh, if it's a game that isn't really about the replay already, if I'm not going to get something new out of it, uh, I'll usually move on. Cause I find replaying stuff to be pretty boring generally. So quickly. Yeah, the, first, the first Metro game that I, that Metro 20, whatever it was, 33, um, I had a massive bug that made the, um, the goggles that you put on to breathe crack. I had a, they crack, you know, in the game, but it, I couldn't take them off. And I basically lost my whole progress because I couldn't, you couldn't, it obscured your vision. And there was this massive bug that was known to be not fixed. Uh, and so I just stopped playing. I was like, I was really loving this game, but I'm not going to go back and replay up to this point because screw you game. Um, so yeah, anyway, go ahead, Christian. So quickly for you and also listeners, I won't do this immediately. Um, pay the 120 and get my current thing fixed or wait and buy a new one. What would you do? Inform my decision. I'd get it fixed. Pay the. I can tell you if you, if you do get it fixed, you're pretty much guaranteeing that they're going to have a cool revision announced at E3. So get it fixed. <laughs> uh, I can almost say certainly they will not. Um, inside baseball. Uh, no, I can almost say certainly they they will not. But yes, maybe well, I, I should mean, do it. Why would they want to revise that sweet, boxy, <laughs> large? monstrous uh, Xbox One design they've got right right now. I think they need to lean into it, make one that's even bigger. Ugh. It's the size of a Scion XB. You just it's park it so in. It's so big. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, you so don't want to get next- the cool Halo 5 branded Xbox One that's inevitable? Eh, maybe, actually. I mean, yes, right? I like the Batman PlayStation 4 one that they announced. I mean, it's dumb that they have two bundles of the same price, or the same content. One is what, $50 more expensive because it's silver with a sticker on it, but <laughs> it looks so good. <laughs> um, I heard so, about another PS4 that there's going to be announced at E3 that I can't talk about, but is going to be awesome. Oh, so I already want it. it. Yeah, it's it just it just a, it's just going to be an aesthetic thing like the Batman one, but it's going to be awesome. So, so. Uh, I want that. Now to Bloodborne, um, I, I did dive back in. I got my save back up and running and I'm checking away. I still have not beat the second boss, um, but I'm, I'm having fun, you know, slogging through it, upgrading my hunter, um, grinding out, learning, you know, brick trolls are just a walk in the park. Now it's one roll and one hit and they're dead. And that stuff is fun and rewarding. I, I tweeted this out late last night and I don't have the answer. I'm not, please. I feel like I need to say this because I critique things that I like. I have interesting questions for them, I feel like. And so my question with the Souls games and Bloodborne and Bloodborne being my first foray into it uh, is, are the Souls games just padding their length with difficulty? And I don't know, because part of me is like, you know, that's the point of the game is the repetition and the doing whatever. But I think if you have the patience and the time, you could really just play that first sequence to the first checkpoint in mid Nyarbra, however you say uh, that little town's name, and, and you, if you'd played that for a hundred hours without ever beating the first boss or beast or whatever, you could level up your character to such a way. Well, I guess you have to get to the boss to unlock whatever. Um, you could level up your character so that the rest of the game would be ultimately a cakewalk, but you'd spend a hundred hours doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Like, is that the wrong way to play the game? Is the difficulty just a crutch in which the game uses to otherwise hide a short game? I had some interesting responses where 
um, at Ozon Donville said the games are packed with content, storylines, and unique area assets you won't get to see unless you do very specific things. I get that. And then the other one I thought was interesting is, you know, that's not fair. Games like Last of Us played as a game, Gears game would only take their game mechanic and design has to be a factor. So that's saying that, you know, this is an intentional thing. And then other people were saying, are Street Fighter games short? You know, some people play the Souls games like a fighting game for the intricacies of the combat. And to say it's short if it was easier is a discredit to the game. So I don't know. I mean, do you guys have a thought on this or am I just off in left field? Or I guess right field is where they put the bad baseball players in Little League, right? Uh, I, I wouldn't know. Um, do you have like a hockey analogy or something? I might, <laughs> I, oh, yeah. So it's, uh, I'm not sure. It, um, hockey. Have you seen Adam Sandler's um, golf movie? <laughs> happily no uh, really? i have yeah, not have. um you know really i i really like i've played all the souls games uh i have had the experience of finishing dark souls 2 and crowing about it and then having my friend cory banks say what what ending did you get and i say that he's like oh Oh, you haven't finished Dark Souls two at all. Like you, <laughs> like I, I apparently got the like shortest, uh, most sad ending uh, possible because I apparently missed a whole bunch of content. So I think that what I really dig about uh, these games and what I like about Bloodborne in particular is that you can cheese it. You can if you're just if you if you really want to spend forty hours uh, grinding out enemies, and if that's fun for you go for it. And Bloodborne is happy to let you do that. Like when I play Last of Us, I can be stealthy or I can be aggressive. I basically have two modes and then that's basically what I have available. Bloodborne is like, hey, if you want to go out and grind just like with your old Final Fantasy games, have at her. Although uh, Dark Souls 2 did circumvent that. Once you killed an enemy, I think 20 times, it stopped spawning. Um, mm. So they actually did mitigate that a bit. I don't know if Bloodborne does that yet. I haven't been stuck in an area long enough to see. Um, but uh, I think regardless, like when you get a great weapon, when you level up your skills and everything else, I think Bloodborne is still so player skill dependent, so much so that I don't even mind reading a fact saying, here's the best way to beat this boss because I still have to go and pull it off. It's still just yeah. because I know doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to actually do it. So um, I appreciate the Bloodborne. If you're really, really good, you could speed run it. Uh, and if you're terrible, you can spend in 100 hours. And I, I don't think it's artificial uh, padding necessarily. I think it's just part of the whole ethos uh, of the game. And I think for the most part, it works pretty well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I think that it's you can it's a semantic argument right if you're saying oh it's padding to make me do this over and over again but i don't think there's tons of stuff in those games tons uh and a lot of it is optional a lot of it is is you have to discover and there's a thing behind that and a secret passageway to get over here and i think that's the joy of those games and and um you know they there is hours put in but those hours put in are not leveling up your character as it is leveling up yourself and i think that's why people love those games uh myself included uh that's that's what ultimately the joy that i got hooked on with with the souls games is oh my gosh i'm actually getting better and Mm -hmm. and that's why you know you read about this guy who who finished uh bloodborne without ever having leveled up at all uh, because Mm -hmm. that's possible and you know you know zero soul level or one level one soul level finishing of dark souls is possible too so that that's the, the impressive part is that it really is down to your level of skill not not your character's level of skill Sure. All okay. right. I've still yeah. sold, but I, yes, I know that people have done it on level one. Um, so like, yeah, the skill of the user skill is an important part, but at the same point, 
uh, you could, you know, cheese it and grind it or whatever. It's, those games are so interesting. And I think that is part of, I talked about it the first time I played the game about the language of the game and, you know, being in the cool kids club if you're playing or like a club or if you're playing because you understand it where it's like some things the community is a-okay with and it's like, yeah, use this glitch to double double your item and whatever, but that's not cool. But no, geometry exploits where you can lure this, you know, enemy over to this area that then they can't squeeze through because of the geometry, what they should be able to. Like, that's totally cool. Cheese it all you want. And it's such an interesting world of like, what is cheesing? What is cheating? What is okay? What is not okay? Um, I think is fascinating for those games. And it's player driven. Like you really are. You can, you can choose. Uh, like there was, a, I was having trouble with this one um, knight who was up on a tower and, and on a Gatling gun. Uh, and, and it's a really confined space. This knight has like a gun and a, and a weapon and it was really hard to navigate. And I, I was like, oh, I could use a hand because I keep, it's taken me 10 minutes to reach this person every time uh, to try again. And so I looked and there was one way to beat him, which was basically go up to the top of the tower engage him in the fight and then go down the ladder again just get back on the ladder go all the way back down go down this other ladder and eventually he'll just run off the tower and die and i'm like you know what <laughs> i i've tried 10 times the the nice way i'll take it at this point i'll take it and i can I make that proud. choice <laughs> i can make that choice and i feel great about it i feel totally good and and some people might feel good about that in 100 tries some people might I want to know right away and just do it. Um, I, I'm I'm happy to go either way. Although I will say, in terms of the idea of of spending just in the kind of starter area, grinding that out, leveling up each skill point gets so expensive. Uh, every time you buy one, the next one is more expensive. By the time you're spending six thousand blood points or whatever they call them for a skill point, that is a lot of grinding in that area before you're ever going to get there. So they do create a pretty large mountain for you to climb uh, if you decide to go that route. Yeah. And that's why uh, hundreds of people all around the world are leaving their systems on for 12 hours nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Destroying their PS4s in the process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, let's uh, let's move on to tabletop time. Right now, right now. Sean, you are in a weekly board gaming group. What have you been playing lately? Oh, so many different things. Uh, I love that uh, you've got you got your own show. You've got a bumper for it now. There was a time when the Gamers Jobs Conference call was like your refuge to talk about board yeah. games. It was uh, my one place. I had it in my writer that I we had to talk board games every time absolutely. I was on your show. I love it. And we're huge board game fans. Um, so one of the, the game I wanted to highlight uh, is actually a game called Chinatown. Uh, it's been mm. out for a while. And uh, the uh, I don't know if you've talked about it here before. Um, Chinatown is basically a game where it plays up to five players and you've got a board and it's what well, it represents Chinatown. And there's numbers one through like 90 or something like that on the board. So each number is a property. So each player at the start of the game is going to get maybe five property spaces and then you'll get a bunch of storefronts, you know, and it'll be anything from like a dim sum store or a, like a laundry or restaurants or a factory and, and stuff like that. And each building type needs to have connected, right? So if I've got six factories blocks, I need six properties lined up in order to get the full, like every, you have six rounds and every round you cash out based on what properties and stores you've got out there. And it is impossible. You are not going to draw the properties that you need to have it lined up, but other players will. So the entire game is just 
drawing which properties each round you're going to get, you get fewer of them each round, and then drawing your storefronts and putting them out in front of you, and then open negotiation on the whole table for the rest of the round. That's all it is. So it's like saying to somebody, hey, uh, I've got uh, two jewelry stores, you've got two dim sums, which I need. I got a couple of properties, you've got a property I want, and then trying to work a deal, cash trading hands, properties trading hands. The entire game is just table talk and What's really amazing about it is that you have to actually cooperate. You can't just be trying to screw everybody or no one will want to do business with you. But you've also got to make deals that really benefit you just a little bit more than the other person. Because the end of the game, the win state is whoever has the most cash, period. Uh, So I've had games where I won purely by talking down how little money I had the entire game. And then at the end being like, oh, well, look at this. Look at all this money I have. Um, Like it's such a great table talk player engagement game. It gets it's a really engaging. Everybody is involved. You're not sitting around waiting for your turn. It moves and it's done in like 45 minutes. Um, so Chinatown is, is a really excellent game to play. If, if you like talking with people and working with people and, and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. If anybody has played, uh, Settlers of Catan, uh, it's basically just the two wood for one wool situation. If there was no other way for you to make that trade, you know, Catan has all those other, you know, you can go to the dock and you can, or you can trade four for one or whatever it is. It gives you all these ways to, to work around people being, uh, obstinate, <laughs> but, this game, nope, no other way to do it. Or actually, a few weeks ago, I talked about a, another similar game, uh, Dragon's Gold. Have you played Dragon's Gold? Uh, I have not. I've, I've heard about it. I have not had a chance to play it, though. Yeah, it's it's a similar kind of thing where you know you're you're taking down dragons, and that's the easy part. The hard part is negotiating how you divvy up the gold after the. Uh, the dragon goes down and you only have a minute in that game to make that negotiation. And it's those kinds of open negotiation games are so revealing about the character of the people that you're playing with and people get vicious, but it's so, it's so fun. It's such an interesting dynamic of having to make deals and, and try to fool people into thinking that the deal is benefiting them when it's benefiting you. And, uh, so fun. Um, sorry, go ahead. Uh, any game that that gets the player's personality into the mix rather than just sitting there keying off uh, abilities or skills or rolling dice and then doing what the dice and cards tell you to do. Anything that gets your actual personality in there to me is like a win. Like that's actually uh, one of the frustrating things about, say, like playing Dungeons and Dragons like D&D 4 is it's like, mm-hmm. well, I, my abilities are basically these cards that are in front of me and then I can kind of say some stuff. And get into some role playing a little bit. But the actual combat was just like, well, here's the power I'll use this time. And mathematically, I can do this one now. And it just there wasn't a lot of personality there. So it's I really appreciate any board game that's going to get a little of my personality into the actual gameplay experience. Yeah, it's really playing to the strengths of of what sitting around a table with other human beings gives you. It's it allows Mm -hmm. you to have that kind of interaction that a, a video game at least to this point in technological advancement does not allow for. Um, but you, you provided me a good segue into what I wanted to talk about. Uh, this week I started a new fifth edition campaign with my, uh, D and D group and uh, I've been, uh, DMing and I've been DMing for, I don't know, a couple of years now with this group, uh, off and on. And we tried, um, um, various modules that were pre-made that I found and bought, uh, and had some great, great, 
adventures with them and really found some ones that we really liked. We did fourth edition. We did uh, all, all kinds of different scenarios that were pre-made. But what I hadn't done up to this point was create from scratch my own. Well, that's not true. I did one uh, for Alex Albrecht's bachelor party. We did a um, – he wanted to play Dungeons & Dragons because that's how nerdy we are at a bachelor party. Um, and I built a campaign that was like – he was finding the – the ring of uh it was the ring of crippling monogamy you know and so it was all built around like uh you know jokes about about being a bachelor but this is the first time that i straight up like sat down and be and and tried to create a new you know legit D campaign from my imagination and i did it with fifth edition and i was a little intimidated by the whole thing just because like you know it's a lot of work but once I jumped in and once I committed to, you know, I had this spark of this idea of, of what I wanted to create, uh, the materials that they provide in fifth edition are really fantastic for doing that. And it's something, the reason I wanted to bring it up on the show is I want to encourage people to give it a chance because there, while there are fantastic pre-made, pre-written campaigns, um, I actually found the process of creating my own to be less labor intensive than doing somebody else's because you have to absorb so much information in somebody else's campaign. You have to absorb all of the back history and, and all of this stuff in order to make it work seamlessly and be able to in the moment figure out what, you know, your party wants to do and, and get them from moment to moment because somebody else wrote it and, and you need to sort of assimilate all that information, information into your campaign. But when you're making it up, you have it all in your head. There's no learning. There's no, you have to figure it out and you have to, and it took me, you know, a long time to flesh everything out and figure out exactly the story I wanted to tell. But it allowed me to improvise much more on the spot with the players, which I found to be way more fun because I didn't have to like dive back into the text of what somebody else wrote. I could just create it on the fly. And the process of figuring out the sort of overarching adventure that we were going to do was a lot more fun because I basically like looked through the monster manual and the monster manual is so well done. It is full of so many pictures that are so evocative that I would get to a monster and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That gives me an idea of something that I want to do or, you know, that's a cool creature that how would I why would that creature be in this place that I found these adventurers? And then that sparked a whole other side of the fiction that you would create. And I just found that it to be a very um organic process of coming to the story that we were going to set out. Because I was just inputting inspiration points. You know, I was just looking through the books and, and thinking about it and imagining where they might be and why they might run into that creature. And oh my gosh, if that creature's there, then that creature might be there also. And I found it to be really fun. And then when we finally played, everybody commented that the game itself was the most fun they'd ever had uh, because it was so much more dynamic. I was engaged. I had my head out of the books because I knew it all in my, my mind and, um, and was able to just only, you know, refer to the text when I needed stats for, for battles and stuff and everything else we, we could role play and they could, they were free to come up with really bizarre outside the box solutions to things. And I could, you know, work that in on the fly and keep them moving forward. And they felt like there wasn't the, the coolest thing that they said was they felt like there wasn't a set script that they were trying to find their way onto, i.e. like they weren't 
looking for the right thing to say or do to keep the story moving forward. Instead, they were free to sort of do what they felt in the moment, knowing that I had their, the support system there to just take the story wherever it needed to go. And, and it was really, really fun. And I just wanted to, um, recommend that to people that might be giving it a shot because the, the, the new materials that they have for fifth edition engender that kind of thing and are really useful. They're, they're, they're thick and there's a lot to absorb, but you can segment it out in ways that make it easily digestible. That is such a hard balance to strike uh, when you're GMing this, especially if you spend hours prepping for something and you think they're going to go right and they go left. And and this whole yeah. dungeon you kind of created is not going to be used or you just got to basically find some way to move it uh, more or less. And if the players don't know what was prescribed and what, what was made in, on, on the spot, then you're you're crushing it like that. That's really the the sign of a great GM is you just don't know. Like it all is just seamless. Uh, it just all yeah. works. Yeah, and those tricks of making them feel like they are the ones that decided where it went, whereas you were sort of, you know, secretly guiding them down that path, but making them feel like they have agency. And and that's really, really fun. And I'm excited for our next session as well. So very, very cool. Your friends are like, and then I go over here and I take out the dragon and Jeff's eyes go up and to the left. The dragon is now eight dragons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, spe- speaking of that, and uh, it's it's um, one of the we do donation drive on our site once a year, and we have these kind of stretch goals we make up. And one of them was they wanted us to video record an RPG session, so we played a game called Dread, uh, which is basically role playing with a Jenga tower. So when you're going to go <laughs> and do something. Um, and the GM will basically say, okay, well, take a pull. You got to go to the Jenga tower, take a pull, put it on top. And so if you're going to do like a big thing, if that tower crumbles, you don't die immediately, but you're going to die. Uh, and it's, <laughs> and, and it gives you actual dread because when that tower starts getting really wobbly, it gets really intense. Um, so we'll, I think awesome. we're going to be putting that up probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and it's, it's run by a game master who is, masterful, has been doing it for a long time named Kevin Culp. So, um, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's, He's it's great. really cool. I love the idea of adding in dexterity elements and I may just steal that. Uh, although I think some of the people that I play with listen to the show. So, but I may just steal, <laughs> steal something like that. That's an lo- interesting moment when they're like, all right, time to roll. Uh, no, 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 no. Jenga tower. Boom. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might steal that. I lo- anything that you can, anything that causes surprise in your players is a win. <laughs> and, and that's, that's great. Super soakers come out. Jeff just sprays everybody down. <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. I've seen a, I've seen a DM who like there's a mystery box they had to deliver to a wizard. And so they had to go through this whole dungeon of traps the wizard had set up in order to reach him because he forgot that his whole castle had been armed. And they finally get the box to him. The wizard's like, oh, wonderful. And then he takes the physical box, the DM that he'd made and put out on the table, opens it up and it's just full of pastries. And then they all eat pastries and like enjoy the <laughs> and eat with the wizard. It's just it's so many cool like prop things you can do that are really nice awesome very very cool awesome well uh this has been a fantastic episode uh, as i knew it would be sean thanks for hanging out with us uh we do have our parting gift to give you guys but first we have to thank uh sean andrich for being here and um let him tell us where you can follow his exploits if you are so inclined 
Uh, just gamerswithjobs.com. That's uh, our website. We're going to be launching a new website design really soon. Uh, we have a really, really great, uh, very inclusive and loving community. So if you want to talk about uh, board games and video games and frankly, politics, controversial stuff, um, lot, we, we talk about everything in the, in the community. Uh, it's, it's something I'm really proud of uh, to be part of. Uh, and of course, we do the Gamers Jobs conference call, which is our weekly podcast. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Certis, C-E-R-T-I-S, which apparently is also a f- uh, some sort of chemical company like for crop dusters or something oh. like that. So every once in a while, I get some weird tweets. It's pretty nice. <laughs> Um, you cannot overstate how, how, how great your community is. Uh, I, you know, I love the DLC community that we are building on Reddit and, and on Twitter and, and, uh, through email. But man, the Gamers with Jobs site has been a second home for me for a long time. The very first, uh, World of Warcraft, uh, guild I ever joined was the Gamers with Jobs guild way back at launch of World of Warcraft. Uh, I, I just think the world of that community and you have, uh, you should be very proud of the thing you created there. It's a gr- great group of people. Oh, thank you. Christian, how about you? What's, uh, what's going on with you this week? If people still are interested in them, uh, you can find, I made a t-shirt over at Teespring. That is the Jenny Fine poster art for my debut album, Moment in Time. Go to my website, christianspicer.com and it's at the first post there. You can check it out. It's on an American apparel shirt. It should be very nice. If you want one, great. If not, no problem either. Um, and then the stand-up comedy podcast that I do, that I started at Nerdist, What's New is back. If you're a subscriber to that feed, you might have noticed a new episode came out uh, on Friday. And we're relaunching the show. We got really exciting. I'm super excited for it. Um, I'm co-hosting it now with Brenton Biddlecombe, who's a paid regular at the Comedy Store. We're going to do the show at the Comedy Store on Sunset. The next live show will be April 23rd. Tickets are $2. And um, it's fun. This first episode we put out is uh, just kind of get to know Brenton and his style of jokes. We're very different joke tellers. So I think it will be fun to have both of us. I think things are just more fun with friends in general. So bringing Brenton in, the show is going to move to the Comedy Store. The podcast is up. It's called What's New? You can find that uh, online wherever you digest podcasts. And then uh, Improv versus Stand-Up is this Thursday at UCB on Franklin. If you were in Los Angeles, it's going to be awesome. Cardinal Redbird is a House Herald team at UCB, and they're doing improv. And some of my favorite people in the world are on that team. So it's going to be lots of fun. So come out to a show, say hi. And of course, you can still get my album if you are so inclined at Moment in time jeff what's uh what's going on other than not going to rotten tomatoes or uh, metacritic <laughs> <laughs> i am doing uh slash filmcast reviewing movies we had a heated uh episode uh talking about furious seven last week and also talking about going clear and uh other other topics of of note uh and uh we have concerns the comedy show i do with anthony carboni three times a week is at wehaveconcerns.com check that out it's only 20 minutes episodes there actually the one that came out today i think is one of the funniest ones we've done in a long time um it is called urban vermin surgeon uh, so check that one out. I, I um, think, uh, I think my wife hears your voice more than mine, uh, at this point. She's, she's a huge, uh, we have concerns fan. <laughs> oh, I'll tell her. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very much. Um, now, uh, let's send the people off with a parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. 
Sean, you got something to send the people off this week to enjoy? Yeah, I want to point everybody toward Miss Marvel. Uh, number one, uh, they've started to put out the uh, graphic novel anthologies now. It started back in January of 2014. Uh, my wife picked up the graphic novel, which is the first few issues of it. I think they've got about 16 issues out now. Um, and uh, it's written by G. Willow Wilson. And it's uh, it's about a girl in New Jersey named Kamala Khan. And she's from Jersey. And she uh, lives, she's a teenager. She's a Muslim. Um, and the art in it is incredible uh, and she becomes Miss Marvel and it's funny it's fun it also gives you some uh, insight into the uh, Muslim lifestyle and some of the things she's dealing with uh, it just it's so smart well written it's so fun to read and it's just I was blown away by it um, so I'd really recommend checking out Miss Marvel and uh, and just give it a read. Like uh, I think that you can get like the first issue for three bucks uh, or on Marvel Unlimited. So uh, it's worth reading for sure. Second to that. Uh, very cool. And if you think you know what Ms. Marvel's powers are, you're in for a surprise. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Christian, how about you? Keeping it. Marvel Daredevil is Netflix Friday at 12.01 Pacific in the morning is when it drops all episodes. I have friends that have seen it. I don't know anything about it other than that they came back loving it so i hope my expectations are correctly set to hype train but um yeah i will be i will be sick all weekend i think and have nothing else to do (laughs) (laughs) who am i kidding all weekend just for four hours or whatever friday and uh i am super super excited daredevil netflix this friday Man, I hope it's good. Uh, I will stay on the Netflix train and tell people about Bloodline. Uh, boy, we talk about that in the new Slash Filmcast as well. So if you've already heard him talk about that, forgive me, but I am in love with that show. I'm so glad I got a second season just confirmed. Um, my wife and I stayed up till three o'clock in the morning finishing it. Could not stop, would not stop. It is a slow burn. This is a, this is a very slow starting thing, but I urge people to stick with it because it is just setting up those pieces on that chessboard, baby. And those four last four episodes will kick you in the pants. Oh my gosh. It ends with such uh, breathless excitement. It's fantastic. Great writing. It's from the guy who did damages, which is a show I liked as well. And stars, uh, Kyle Chandler, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. So, uh, check it out and stick with it also will it say. make me sad a lot of shows people say are really really good end up making me feel really sad after uh i think that is a fair assessment <laughs> it is that's not a, a yes. that's a, it's not a positive yes. <laughs> it's not a is that this is a show about a broken family uh and uh but i described it on the slash film cast and this may sound silly but i described it as what if batman and the joker were brothers and their family owned a lovely little B and B in the Florida Keys. That's the, that's basically the premise of this show. <laughs> or, or you so, might say, yeah, so we're that not was bad Daredevil people. again. I think you said Daredevil was on Friday. <laughs> also, yes, I think we'll exactly. make you sad. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, dudes. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks to Sean Andrich and to Christian Spicer. Uh, thanks to all the folks at five by five. Thanks to all the everybody in the chat room who've been contributing to the show as we record it at 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific time on Mondays. And thanks to you for listening to this show. We will see you next time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>